0: I'm so excited to preach. Well, as you guys know, we have been um, we've been going through the major characters of the Bible, the major characters of the Bible. and um, so tonight um, we're going to be talking about Isaiah. And I have a treat for you because one of my favorite people in the world walked in tonight and he happens to be, on his way to being a very high level Bible professor. So, I am going to preach, but I am first going to get him up here and we're going to do a little question and answer on Isaiah. Can you welcome Chris Alfred? <laughs> now, Chris was in Philip and I's youth group a million years ago, and now, um, tell him what you're doing.
1: I'm currently a Ph.D. student at Asbury Seminary in uh, outside of Lexington, Kentucky. I just finished my coursework, so I'm preparing for my, uh, what they call it, comprehensive exams, uh, which is about two weeks of tests. And then after that, I can work on my dissertation and be free to to do that wherever, so... We're based out of Dallas now, so we come in frequently and visit family and, and everything. So
0: Well, and before he was a PhD and all of these things, he, he is one of the most wonderful, incredible communicators. Holy Ghost, spirit filled, amazing. And I'm so excited that we get to do this together tonight.
1: This is, I'm so glad I knew about this beforehand. And this is great.
0: Well, it can't be worse than those comprehensive exams. That's
1: true. That is true.
0: You know, I would say that I'm sorry, but I was your youth pastor, so I'm not, <laughs> not sorry at all. Um, but anyway, okay, Isaiah. So, you know, we've been studying. Will you throw that graph up there, um, Arouge? So we've been studying the, um, in, in, in any time now, That yes, okay. So we've been studying the Old Testament, um, and so we've been going through the different, the different periods of history. We went through creation, the call of Abraham, then we went through the patriarchs, we went through the wilderness, we went through all of these different things. And now we have come to Isaiah. So can you kind of set the stage of where we are?
1: Uh, absolutely. So right now we're in the middle of the, period of the kings raise your hand if you see the period of the kings up there
0: isn't he going to be a great professor
1: okay so if you look about halfway during the period of the kings you see first kings 12 through whatever and then isaiah is here in our list uh he slots in the eighth century which is uh probably a little bit in the to the left of the period of the kings but he would be um 8th century prophet to Judah.
0: Okay, now now tell us what's kind of going on. So we know that Israel and Judah have split, right? And and so we've we've talked about that that there's two kingdoms that after Solomon that the two kingdoms split, and so now we're we're pretty far into that history, right. and, and there's some intrigue going on between Judah and Israel.
1: Right. So um, I'm trying to piece together here with the intrigue. Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, I'm
0: sorry. So anyway, I threw it to you at the wrong point. So there's some <laughs> intrigue going on with Israel and, and Judah where Israel is about to get thrown off into captivity, but Judah gets to wait a little bit longer. And so, um, Isaiah really talking to Judah, right,
1: right? Right, right. So, um, so at this point, so the Assyrians have already come in and taken Israel and then, uh, where, where Isaiah, st- Isaiah is at a, a really neat part um, because he, he sees a lot during his lifetime. Uh, also, if you look at the uh, in your Bible, we have it um, the section of the major prophets. So, Isaiah is one of the major prophets, but we really call him that because of how dense the book of Isaiah is. It's not that Isaiah was a better prophet than Malachi was, or Ezekiel was a better prophet than Jonah, but that the books are bigger. So we have, we have the five bigger books of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Lamentations. And then we have the, uh, and Lamentations is there because it's written by, uh, by Jeremiah. But then you have the minor prophets. So that's something that sometimes trips us up as we think, um, what is the difference between major versus minor and all that? So Isaiah, I had no our, idea that that was the difference between major and minor. <laughs> okay. It's just the size of the books. It's the size of the books, right. Okay. So Isaiah is the biggest one. It's the longest book. Um, I think Genesis is the only other book that's longer if i'm I'm not mistaken, but uh, in the Old Testament. but he saw a lot is the thing. He saw a lot during his time, and so when he comes onto the stage, we've got um, a lot on the horizon, right so there's um his call to them is um, pardon me, give me uh
0: So basically, his call to them is, I'm just going to repeat what you said while you're thinking about it. Okay, go ahead.
1: Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I thought you were going to take charge there. (laughs) Um,
0: No. No. (laughs) No. But his call to them is really about salvation. But setting the scene, right. um, so you have, you have these five kings that he serves. And, but he dies before a lot of the things that were prophesied in his book come to pass. Now, this was really the question I got you up here for. Okay. Because I have no idea how to answer this, and okay. I just want your take on it. Awesome. Okay, you ready? Okay. I saw as I was studying Isaiah that there's a debate about whether this was one prophet or whether it was three. And I want to know kind of what the debate's about, and where you come down on it.
1: You mean you mean on the formation of the book? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, that's that's good. Um, okay, so basically, Isaiah is divided into three sections. Uh, it's mainly two sections, but it can be two or three depending on on what you look at it. You've got book one, uh, chapter one through thirty-nine. Uh, so chapters one through thirty-nine uh, have a lot to do with judgment. So he's speaking to nations, he's speaking to Israel, he's speaking to Judah, he's speaking to, uh, to them about judgment, about ways that they've fallen short, ways that God's going to bring judgment to them, and so on. There, there is some, and that's what I think too, uh, to kind of to temper this conversation, is that there is salvation in chapters 1 through 39. But generally you get the sense that God is calling people to do better you know that God is calling people to walk away from what they've done before the sins before that have brought this judgment upon them uh, but then you have chapters 40 through 55 um, and they have a, or really 40 through 66 which um, are a lot lighter of a read you know um, some people have drawn parallels between the, the whole Bible because we have 66 books in the whole Bible 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and they say that First Isaiah, as some people would call it, is more about judgment. Just you know, as you would say, maybe the Old Testament is about judgment, and then the last 27 books, which that's how many we have in the New Testament, they are about grace and salvation. So some people have drawn a parallel there, um, but I, I like to think of it overall as the book of Isaiah of being a book of salvation. You know, because you can't really piece together uh, the whole Bible, even, and say, well, you've got judgment in this section, but salvation in the other. Well, really, salvation is everything. Salvation is God's that's work so in the whole thing. And so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't stress too much of, of those parallels there, but, uh, but that's the sense we get. Um, some people would say that um, if you do piece the books together, that it represents maybe some different periods of Israel's history during this time which would be about hundred and fifty different years um, and so you can you can go either way a lot of people go either way um, I actually tend to think that it's one that, that it's a unity um, but uh, but my reasons for that really have to do with um, well actually I'll back that up there are a few chapters where I think there might have been some uh, workings behind the background um, maybe a few years later than Isaiah Like was. another author. Right, like another author comes in and, and puts in something. But that really speaks to the way that the Old Testament was put together anyway. It was sort of a, uh, like, for example, when you have uh, Moses writing the first five books of the Bible, and then you come to the end of uh, of the Pentateuch, and it says, then Moses died. You know, it's not like Moses was sitting there on the mountain, and, you know, he writes, then Moses died, you know. So, I mean, It was a collaborative thing with a lot of scribes working together and doing that kind of stuff. So that's where there are some pockets where it looks like it might have come from a little later period. Um, But I think a lot of that is overblown. I think Isaiah has the meat, you know, that the meat of the book of Isaiah is from the prophet Isaiah at one time uh, speaking to them the whole message of judgment and salvation.
0: I just like, is he just not wonderful? He's going to be around more. You can ask him questions afterwards, see if I did anything wrong. Thank Thank you, Chris. I so appreciate it. I love him. I love all of the ones. Anyway, do you know Taylor was actually in our youth group, too? The one who sings right here? Isn't that just great? Some pretty great people there. But Isaiah, he set the scene so absolutely perfect. Here we have this prophet. This incredible, incredible prophet whose book I have to go ahead and tell you that when I was a little girl, I used to skim for my Bible reading charts. Because sometimes it can be a little bit daunting, and you can open it up, and a lot of it's written in this kind of poetic verse, and it can get discouraging. You can say, I'm not completely sure if I can dive in and study that. And, and this is one thing that I just want to say on a practical side. When you reach a book of the Bible that it is hard for you to understand, don't close the book. Reach for another book. Because there are people who have spent their entire life, like Chris, who have studied certain things and they've written these beautiful commentaries and they've written these beautiful books that you can pull out and you can read in parallel when you're reading these chapters and it'll help you understand it more. It'll help you understand the history. It'll help you understand the context and it'll really bring the story alive. And the other thing is, is you can find out things that if you were just studying on your own, you might've come to that beautiful conclusion about the 66 books of the Bible in the 39 and the 27. I mean, I, I've been in church a really long time. I don't remember ever hearing that. But if you read commentaries, you're going to come across all kinds of gems like that and really get to learn more quickly. So that's just on a practical note. So we have Isaiah. He's a prophet. His name means salvation of Yahweh. Isn't that just a beautiful thing? There's um, a very likelihood that he was related to a royal household. And he prophesied for about 60 years, we think, through five different kings. Isn't that amazing? Just like what he was saying. And so during this time, we're seeing some very important things happen. We're seeing kings that are good come and kings that are bad go. Okay? So we're seeing some that follow God. And we're seeing those that don't follow God. We're seeing some who purify the temple. And we're seeing some that desecrate the temple. We're seeing some who, who really are just horrible, horrible people. One of the kings actually sacrificed his own son to a Canaanite god. I mean, just terrible, terrible things. And there were seeing people on the other side, who even when they make mistakes, humble themselves before the Lord. And yet, Isaiah comes to two conclusions. There is no hope in what man has made. It's the first thing. You see this hopelessness. There's just no hope. When there was a good king, there still wasn't hope. When, when there was a bad king, there still wasn't hope. Because there's no hope in what man has made. If we ever start to think that we can make something and then put our hope inside of it, we've missed the point. We cannot put our hope in things that are man-made. We cannot put our hope in people or in institutions that are outside of God. And that was the second conclusion that Isaiah really came to, is that there is only hope in God that there is only hope in God. And Chris said it so beautifully that it's a message of salvation. From beginning to end, it's a message of salvation. This was something that I really liked whenever I was studying it is that some scholars say that this is the very best writing in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? Some of the most best writing in the Bible. He was obviously so talented. He was so learned. He knew so very much, and yet we hardly know anything about him. So little about his personal life so little about his own hopes and dreams, so little about his family, so little about what he thought. We know so little about this prophet, and yet he's one of the most quoted in the entire Bible. Jesus quoted him quite a bit. He was so important, and sometimes we think that we have to be known in order to make an impact, that we have to be known in order to be used by God. That people have to know our name and know our face. And in this world of instant notoriety, of, of, you know, fickle fame, the 15 minutes has turned into 15 seconds, hasn't it? We can think that if we're not known, if our name's not known, that we don't make an impact. The kingdom of God is not built on the talent of a few, but the hard work, the perseverance, the kindness, the gentleness, the day-to-day of many, 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 many people. And most of those, you don't know. And most of those, I don't know. But what's most important is that God knows, is that God Knows. And so there's just a few themes that I want to talk about in the, in the book today before we go. And the first one is this, is worthiness. Worthiness. That seems to be something that we all deal with, isn't it? When we go into serving Jesus, when we go into trying to make a difference in our communion. But God, I'm not worthy. Don't you know what I did? Don't you know what I was thinking? Don't you know what I've been through? Don't you know about my mom? Don't you know about my dad? Don't you know about my background? Don't you know? I mean, I haven't studied. I haven't done. There's so many things that make me unworthy. Isaiah 6 deals with this so beautifully. It's probably one of the most famous verses of Isaiah for for most modern Christians. Isaiah 6, one. it says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. And then verse 3, they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, talking about Isaiah, It's all over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies. The Lord, you know, sometimes when we walk in here and we just get in the presence of God that inhabits the praises of his people, just the presence of God, you know, that feeling that when we walk in and we go, man, something's different, something's here, we can feel so unworthy that we don't even sing. Not because we don't like to sing. I mean, we'll jam out to you know a a little bit of country on the way in. We're one are any of you the singers into your um steering wheel? Anybody do that? No, oh, I sing into my steering wheel. I sing hard. If you pull up next to my car, you will see me singing and dancing. I am not going to miss that opportunity. In fact, there was a guy on airline, and I was just singing and dancing. He pulled up. They were laughing so hard, I thought we were going to have a wreck. And I was like, why don't you just sing with me? You know, like, let's just sing together. Sometimes we're willing to sing anywhere but church. Sometimes we're willing to get excited anywhere but church, and, and it's not about our tradition, and it's not about what we're used to. Sometimes it's about the fact that we don't feel worthy. So can you imagine what Isaiah felt? He sees God. He sees the Lord of heaven's armies, and he completely melts down. He says, that's it. I'm done for because I'm a wicked man. I live with wicked people. So this is just not going to work, but this is God's response. Then one of the seraphim, like an angel, flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to these people who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. I want you to notice that he said, here I am, send me, after God had come and touched him. And anytime we start trying to say, here I am, send me, before God touches us, we're headed to a very, very dangerous place. We're headed to a place where we will be destroyed. But Isaiah was wise enough to say, there's something going on here that's bigger than me. And if I don't have a supernatural experience, I can't can't have a supernatural expression in my life. He understood that God had to touch him. And, you know, sometimes in church or in our communities, we don't say, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me, I'll make people feel welcome. Here I am, send me, I'll go visit people in the hospitals. Hey, here I am, send me, I'll start a small group. Hey, here I am, send me, I'd love to love on some kids and jump around and have fun. Here I am, send me, I, I can... Feed the homeless meals. I, I can take care of people. I can take care of those who are underprivileged or underserved in our society. Sometimes we don't say, here I am, send me, because we just don't feel worthy. Why would God use somebody like me? But Isaiah is probably one of the best people in his entire country at this point. And God still had to touch him before he could use him. See, none of us are worthy, and Isaiah is so kind to show us that really early in his book, so that's one, of, that's one of the themes. The second one is this, is trust in God, trust in God. You know, really, if you look at it, sin begins and ends with refusing to trust God. It really does. It begins and it ends with refusing to trust God. Sin entered the world because Eve didn't trust God. God said don't, Eve didn't trust God, sinners enters the world. And so many times that's where we are too. And sometimes it's not something overt or, you know, um, somehow just, you know, one of those sins that we could mark up on the board. Sometimes it's just relying on other things and letting them get in the way of what God is calling us to do, depending on other things. And we see this all through the book of Isaiah. We see as kings would, instead of trusting in God, they would try to trust in foreign armies, and every time those foreign armies let them down, and that's what we sometimes can do too, and we're so disappointed because things don't turn out the way we want when God's going, trust me, trust me, trust me, and then he says this, he says that I am looking for obedience, not sacrifice. I'm looking for obedience, not sacrifice. Isaiah makes it clear that God hates injustice and corruption. God hates it. Isaiah 1:16 through 17 says, "Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows." Now, we read the first part, and we say, wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. And we're thinking that we need to clean, like, clean out our browser history. But then he tells us what it would be to obey. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the right of widows. I love That God calls us not just to not do things, but he calls us to do things. He calls us to do big things, hard things, difficult things, stuff that just really isn't easy. He calls us to do it. And he doesn't call it a sacrifice. He calls it obedience. Another theme is the need for a Messiah. The need for a Messiah. Isaiah came to the conclusion that no human king could rule God's people properly. They would just have to have a divine Messiah. They would have to have a divine Messiah. I mean, after all, if these good kings couldn't do it properly, I mean, even David, who was a great king, he brought God's judgment onto Israel because of his actions. If David couldn't do it, who could? I mean, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And if he left a splintered and a broken kingdom behind him, how could anyone else have any hope? And this is sometimes a good conclusion for us to come to over and over and over again. We have a need for a Messiah. We have some stuff in us that is not going to be worked out of us by positive affirmation. It's going to have to be a divine declaration that we get into agreement with where we say, Holy Spirit, this is what you have said about me. Now I'm going to begin saying it about myself and allow you to work in me and through me what you've called me to be. We have a need for a Messiah. We're messed up. When I was a little girl, my mother used to quote the verse to me all the time that even the kindness Of the wicked is cruelty. What did did she mean? That even when we are trying to be good and do good, we end up hurting each other. How many times has that been true in your own life? You know they didn't mean it. They were just trying to do something nice. They were trying to do a good thing, and they messed everything up. Or maybe you messed everything up. Or maybe I messed everything up. I was just trying to, but we, are in, we have a need for a Messiah. We have a need for a Messiah. And Isaiah looked around him at all of the mess, and he came to the conclusion that, you know what? It's not going to be enough for us to get a better king. It's not going to be enough for us to get two better kings. It's not going to be enough for us to get three better kings. I can't put enough structures in my life. I can't put enough things in my life. What I need is I need, and Israel needs, and the world needs, a Messiah. Messiah. There are hundreds of messianic prophecies in Isaiah. Hundreds. I was looking at it today. It was amazing. You know, you have the some people who they're counting every like word, you know, and they're like, that. that's it. That's a prophecy too. And then you have others that they're being really cautious and they're like, no, there's only 54.8, you know, prophecies or whatever. But there's hundreds. It's amazing. All of these messianic prophecies all over Isaiah and every single one of them fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus would ever be born. And yet God had him speak not just to this moment, but to that moment too. Not just to that time, but to the future time too. See, God is always doing more than we think he is doing. Always doing more than we think he is doing. You know, I can remember so many times where my dad would speak truths to my life, and now that I look back, I realize that, yes, that truth was for that moment, but it's really for this moment. I can remember reading scriptures when I was a little girl, and yes, it was for that moment, but it's really for this moment too. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, God does double duty and triple duty and all the way around. He impacts so much more than we can even imagine. And that's what I love about this book is that it's a book that was written for the present time and for the future, all at the same time. And then there's the theme of judgment and redemption for all. Judgment and redemption for all. It's so beautiful because Isaiah speaks directly to other nations. And then he speaks of this Messiah that's going to rule over all nations. He speaks directly to other nations. And then he speaks of a Messiah that will rule over all nations. And you say, why is that important? Because I'm pretty sure that most of us are included in that all other nations part. So we, we kind of want to be like, yes, me too. That's exciting. And then there's the connection to Jesus, the connection to Jesus. See, in the Judaism of the first century, every synagogue would have had about a copy of the Torah and maybe a few of the prophets or maybe the Psalms. And these personal copies of the scriptures, they did exist, but they weren't common. And so what you knew and what you were familiar with was what was read at your synagogue, And this is is something that I love. There are people who really believe that Mary and Joseph must have grown up being read the book of Isaiah. That that must have been one of the books that was in their synagogue. That must have been one of the books that was with them. Because when the angel came and spoke to Mary and spoke to Joseph, He referenced the book of Isaiah, kind of like saying, hey, you've heard this book read since you were little. You know the words. You've memorized some of them. Guess what? Long before you were in the story, you were hearing the story. Long before you knew what part you would play, you were hoping and praying for a Messiah. Long before you got the chance to say, here I am, Lord, send me. You had read over and over again about Isaiah 700 years before saying, here I am, Lord, send me. And I just have to wonder, and this is pure speculation on my part, but I just have to wonder if Mary, Didn't have a little bit of courage that was given to her from Isaiah. Just a little bit. Hearing that story over and over again where he was in the midst of the throne room of God. And he said, here I am, Lord. Send me. And here she is faced with an angel scared to death. We know that because the angel says, fear not. Scared to death. And when the moment comes, she doesn't back down. She says, okay, do everything that you said. Do everything that you said. Here I am, Lord, send me. And his story and Mary's story speak to us today. And they tell us we can be brave as ordinary people, and we can say to a supernatural God, here I am, Lord send me. You have not given me the full picture. I'm not sure if I want to go yet. You know, that's what I love. It doesn't even say, like, what Isaiah is really signing up for. You know, it's like, you're going to sign up, and you're going to go, and he's like, okay, send me. Mary gets a vague description of being pregnant with the Messiah. No details. Okay, I'm in. And sometimes we want every single detail. We want to know all the details about every position. We want to know everything. But, you know, I I love that, and I think it's great, and I'm totally willing to accommodate that personality. But sometimes I just like the person who doesn't let me finish and says, "Oh no, I'll do it. I've already decided. I'm going to say yes. Yes, I'll do that. But I haven't told you what it's for, but I'll do it. Because I'll do it because I'm here and and I want to serve and I want to do something great. And I don't care what it is, but I've been reading this story over and over and over again. And if this is my chance to jump in and be part of it, I'm not going to miss it. So there's a connection to Jesus. And then... Jesus opened the book of Isaiah when he announced himself as Messiah. He opened the book, and he read Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies enemies. He quoted the prophet Isaiah. He let everybody know, hey, this is why I've come. This is who I am. This is what it's all about. These words that were written 700 years ago, they are now being fulfilled in your sight. And he quoted Isaiah, this guy that we don't know very much about. Quoted Isaiah. Jesus loved to quote Isaiah. In fact, he quoted him eight times during his ministry. Now, he quoted his friend David 11 times, but he quoted Isaiah eight times during his ministry. I mean, he quotes him when he's throwing tables up, you know, all over in the temple. He's quoting him when he's talking to the Pharisees and saying, your eyes don't see and your ears don't hear. He's quoting them for all kinds of different things. He's quoting them, and every time he does, he's highlighting these two themes, the disconnect between God and man because of sin and the need for a Messiah. The failure of people to trust God and the need for Messiah. He leaned into Isaiah to help us to understand what he was doing. And that's why it's so important that we don't neglect the whole Bible. I've had people say to me before, well, I just read the New Testament. Don't just read the New Testament. I mean, it's okay to start there. It's great. I love the New Testament. It's almost all in story form. It's fantastic. It's great. I love the New Testament, but don't stop there. Because Jesus was referencing back to Isaiah because what Isaiah said was important. And what Isaiah said gives us background and it gives us depth and it allows us to understand a little bit more about why it's so important that we not rely on man-made institutions and man-made things and man-made stuff and man-made men, right? And that we remember what it was like when God's people, God's people who were supposed to be governed by God's law, totally failed. And we look back and we go, well, then I'm not surprised when our man made institutions fail too. And I'm not going to be devastated and I'm not going to be hopeless. I'm just going to do like Isaiah said and I'm going to put away evil, and I'm going to stand up for justice, and I'm going to take care of the oppressed, and I'm going to protect the widow, and I'm going to do all of the things that he said for me to do because my hope is in nothing less than Jesus Christ. So, this is a really important question. How did the Jews of Jesus' day miss Jesus if they had Isaiah and all of these messianic prophe- prophecies? I mean, that's, a, that's an important question because they, they had Isaiah. They had all these messianic prophecies. They agree that they're messianic prophecies, right? Okay, this isn't just something that's made up after the fact. How do they miss Jesus? And we need to pay attention to this because this is how we can miss it too. They missed Jesus because it looked different than they expected. Because it just looked different than they expected. Jesus was supposed to come in and he was supposed to establish the, or the Messiah was supposed to come in and was supposed to establish the kingdom of Israel. He was supposed to drive everybody out. Everything was supposed to be great again. He was going to be the perfect king. So basically what was going to happen is we were going to have Israel just with a perfect king. I get to keep my institutions. I get to keep my way of doing things. I get to keep all of that. I'm just going to have a perfect king now. Jesus said, no, that's too little. I don't just want to be king of your country. I want to be king of your heart. I don't just want to rule on one throne. I want to live. I want to put my spirit inside of every single one of you. And this time, I'm not going to rule the world by fiat and by law. Instead, I am going to rule the world through service. Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said that he came to serve. And that we, as his followers, aren't any better than he is. And so we have to come to serve too that we have to lay our lives down again and again and again and again. That we don't get to say, well, actually, I served for a few years and now I'm done. Actually, you know, I really I really have done that. Thank you. I checked that box, and now I'm moving on to the being served stage of my ministry. We don't get to do that. We don't get to get up from the table. We stay and we serve and we serve those in our work. We serve those in our family. We serve those in our church. We serve those in our community. We serve, but you know what? It's not going to look probably the way that you think. Now, my sister preaches all over the world. People say that, and that's an exaggeration. It's kind of like um, world-famous pie. Strawn's pie is awesome, but it is not world-famous, Okay. It's just an American thing. We say, we add international onto like, you know, local banks and it's like, poof, this is amazing. I mean, it's great. And that's fine. I love it. I love that we think big, but I'm serious. My, sis- my sister, she has preached on every single livable continent. Amazing. And so many times I've been with her at different places because I am a groupie. Oh my goodness. Yes. I love it. Um, I'll be with her different places and I'll see these, these groups. Young girls walk up to her and go, I want to do exactly what you're doing. And I just want to be like, baby, it's not what you think it is. It's not what you think it is. See, she she never started out wanting to do that. She just started out wanting to serve. So she ran the bookstore at her in-law's church And then she ran the bookstore and served on the worship team. And then she ran the bookstore and the worship team, and (laughs) she just kept on adding things. She was just faithful where she was, but never with the eye of being promoted because what those girls see as a promotion, she sees being away from her family, being on the road, Having to deal with sickness, having to deal with SOME, it's not what you think it is. There's a cost to all of it, there's a price to be paid for all of it. And we don't get to control who the light shines on we only get to control what we do in the dark and the light and I sure hope it's the same for us whether we're hidden or whether we are in the light whether we people know our names or people don't know anything about us I hope that we like Jesus are willing to serve and serve and serve that we like Isaiah are willing to say I'm in I I don't know any of the details. I don't know that it's going to result in me getting sawn in half. That crazy, and he signed up for that martyrdom. That's how he ended his life. This prophet that's that's quoted probably more than any other prophet. I read something that said that he's quoted in the Bible more than anyone. That guy the guy we don't know very much about, that guy, the one who has the really thick book that you can't get by in your Bible, that guy, he ended his life as a martyr in obscurity. And yet today we remember his name. And yet today we study about him. Yet today we live in a legacy God used him to build a platform for, yet today we know that Jesus thought that the words that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write were were important enough to quote at the time that he said, yes, this is me, yet today we know. So today you may not see and I may not see the importance of what I'm doing, but eternity knows, and if I'll just trust God, And remember, I need a Messiah. And say yes. Then God will be faithful to use me. Isn't that good news? Would you stand with me? you close your eyes for just a moment? We're just going to pray really briefly. Then we're going to go. You can all text Philip and say that you got out of church early because I preached. If we don't understand that the conquering abundant life that Jesus offers us is at its core, the life of a servant of all, sometimes I leave that part out, the life of a servant of all, then we've really missed the point. We're called to serve. We're called to serve. Serving's inconvenient. I have yet to find a way to serve that does not require me to die a little bit more to myself. That doesn't require me to mess up my schedule just a little bit. That doesn't require me to change my opinions, to love people a little bigger, to give a little generously, maybe cheer more enthusiastically than... I feel comfortable with but today Jesus still calls to us he still calls to us and asks who will I send because Jesus told us that the same works that he did and even greater works we would do so if he came to comfort the brokenhearted, then here I am Lord send me If he came to proclaim that captives will be released, that there'll be freedom for those. Here I am, Lord, send me that that prisoners will be freed. Who will go? If he came, like Isaiah said, to pursue justice, speak for the oppressed, to take care of the widow. If he came to reach out and to tell people truth, to love them, to speak even when it's painful and speak the truth in love. If he came for the world and he died for the world, and he still asks today, Who will I send? And every morning we get to answer that question Will we serve today? Will we love today? Will we come from a place of entitlement or will we come from a place of service? Will we ask, What's in it for me? Or will we just say, I'm in? I'm in. about you, but Isaiah's life has really convicted me, because I want to be the kind of person that doesn't need the details, that doesn't need to be known, and just says, I'm in. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're just like me, and you just say, Destiny, I just need to say one more time to the Lord, I'm in. I just need to say one more time, just one more time. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand just right where you are right now. Just right where you are. Just one more time, Lord. I'm all in. I'm all in. I want to be a servant. I want to be a servant every day. I don't want to have any days off from from serving you and your purposes. I don't want to worry if I'm known. I, I just want to worry about knowing you. Lord, you see the hands. God, I pray that we will be a church of people who say, I'm all in. I'm all in. This message of salvation is worth my life. Telling other people that the only hope is trust in God, that the only hope is a Messiah, that we don't just need once in our life, but we need every single day. I'm all in. I'm all in. Lord, I know that you see the people tonight who are saying one more time, I'm all in. Use us. Use us. Use us to see heaven come. We love you, Jesus. God, I thank you so much that you honor this moment that you see us and that you're proud of us, that we are your children, that when we reach more for you, you don't pull away.